Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder what God's will is for my life? Ever thought that? It's a good question. I wonder what God wants and what he expects of me as a person. Well, the good news, that's the gospel, good news is he answers those questions and he tells us because he wants us to know what his will is. So we're going to be talking about that today. And um, we're going to be starting out in John chapter 15 and we're going to be ending up in 1 Thessalonians. So we'll start with John 15, Jesus talking with his disciples. And he says to them and to us, uh, Jesus says, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does, not, that does bear fruit, he prunes. That word prunes means to cleanse. And it's the same word that's going to be used in the next verse. So he that does bear fruit, he cleanses. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. One of the importance of reading scriptures on a daily basis is because it has a cleansing effect on our soul and our spirit, prepares us for the day that's ahead, washes away the filth, and helps us to focus our attention upon Him and His presence. And so he continues, abide, we could translate that remain, we could also translate that as live. Live in me, it's in Christ, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned." If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You think Jesus is very joyful? There was a, a painting, a Robert Hooke, few, uh, many years ago, and he did a very creative thing um, in his artwork, painting Jesus. Um, the picture that was most popular, the one that I liked, it was an incredible picture. It was just a picture of Jesus of his head. And he had this great smile on his face. Most times, when you see a picture of Jesus, you don't see that. But Jesus um, was comfortable with children. They were not afraid of him. And so there was that about him, and he has this great joy, this great smile upon his face, very welcoming, very personable, which tells us that he is approachable. We can come to him without fear. And so 
Jesus said, I'm writing these things so that my joy, the joy of Jesus himself, may be in you and that your joy may be full. However much that takes, your joy may be full. So he's, a, he's talking about abide, uh, abiding, living, remaining. It means continuing in daily personal relationship characterized by trust, prayer, and obedience. And he says, if we do that, we will be fruitful and productive in the kingdom of God. Now, what kind of fruit is he talking about? Well, many times we get the idea that he's talking about uh, us bringing other people into the kingdom. And that's true. That's part of it. Um, But it's more than that. Because it's not just the numbers game, is it? There are things that we could do that would get a lot of numbers and may not necessarily mean anything except we got a lot of numbers. (laughs) Which is good, I guess. To always get people together. That sort of thing. But it goes much more beyond that. I think what he's talking about, including bringing people into the kingdom, um, but it's like having a baby, you know. Once the birth takes place, that's just the beginning of the task that's before us as parents, isn't it? (laughs) In a sense, although the women may not agree with us, that's the easy part. (laughs) Well, let's put it this way. That's the quick part, more or less. But when you look at the, the, the whole length of life, it is fairly short. So once the child is there, that's when the real responsibility, the real obligations, the real um, commitments begin to kick in. That's one of the things that's failing in our country today is we have single-parent homes, parent, uh, kids who don't know who their parents are, uh, and there's nobody there to show them and to train them and to lift them up. And so the, uh, because there's no roots, they have no clue what commitment means. And that's why our society is falling apart. But Jesus is talking about more than that. He's talking about a, a tremendous fruit that comes within the person's life. <clears throat> In Galatians 5, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit, that's the result of the Holy Spirit being in our hearts and lives through us coming to know Christ and being cleansed by His blood. He does that not just to bring us into the kingdom, but when that happens, it is a spiritual birth that takes place, born of the Spirit. And the important thing is that that is just the beginning, and the rest of the life needs to be lived born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes partly to form the life of Christ in each one of us. So what does that look like? Paul lists some of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a comprehensive list, but it gets us started on the right road. Um, So he lists them. He says, first of all, and the order is important, first of all is love. God's love for us. And it's a self-sacrificing love. If it's not a self-sacrificing love, if you don't prefer the other person over yourself, it is not love except self-love, which is the enemy of God's love. And there's not room for both. No man can serve 
two masters. <clears throat> so the fruit of the Spirit, the result of the Holy Spirit being within us, the part of remaining and abiding in Christ, if we walk with Him, these things will begin to be seen in our life, as Paul says, in increasing measure. So we don't learn to walk all, all at once, and we don't have these fruit in the Spirit all at once. You don't have a tree. You plant it, it grows, it blossoms, it begins to form the fruit, and you go out the next day, there it is, ready to pick. No, it takes time, doesn't it? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is that way. Through the blood of Christ, the seed of God's Word is implanted in our hearts and in our lives. And as we receive that in our hearts and lives as good soil, uh, teachable, open, hungering to know the Lord, He begins to grow and develop these fruits to where in an increasing way these things become more and more a part of our lives and more importantly, more a part of our relationships, beginning in the home, then in the community. So the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, we could translate that um, humbleness or gentleness, and self-control, one of the key things that's lacking in our culture today, self-control. Control. So he says these things begin to be developed and worked out in our relationships with one another. In Romans 6, Paul talks about the fruit of sanctification, holiness. And the end of that is life eternal. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9, he talks about the fruit of the light being goodness, righteousness, and truth. Hebrews 12 and James 3, 18 talks about a life of discipline that, that yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And Hebrews 13, 15 talks about the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips confessing His name. And so these are part of the fruit I think Jesus is talking about here in John 15. These things, He says only are in your life as we abide or live in His presence because that's His nature and character. And if He is not in our heart and in our life, this fruit will not be there because you cannot and I cannot produce it by ourselves. That kind of fruit only comes as a result of the presence of Christ in the life. If He's not there that fruit will be missing. Um, you know, they have all kinds of, uh, of things. Usually in the material world, when you have something that's, that's expense, ex, 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 hang on, slow down. In the material world, when you have something that is extremely expensive, very, very rare, and unbelievably valuable, You've got the real things there. But then what happens? Well, most of us can't afford those things. So what do we do? We come up with the fake ones. They look like that. They're not made of the same stuff. And they don't have the same value. And it's cheap. But it looks good. 
many of us, even in our Christian life, try to do that with the fruit of the Spirit. We try to produce and project this kind of fruit, love, joy, peace. But when the hard times come, we find out how fake that really, really is. Now, most people, especially those who know us best, they know it's fake already. We don't have to tell them. But we think they think it's good. And it's not. So the real fruit, the valuable stuff, the thing that really costs and the thing that lasts for eternity, only produced by Christ in the life as we become more like him. As the Holy Spirit transforms us, changes us. Part of the reason that these things are so valuable in the material world is that they're scarce, they're rare, they're hard to find, and it takes a long time to produce these things. And that's the way it is with the fruit of the Spirit in our life. It takes time. So, how are these fruit developed? That's where some of the fruit began to be long-suffering, oh. If you pray for patience, dangerous thing. You find yourself at the end of long lines. (laughs) How are we going to learn patience unless we're put to the test? Uh, You know, I could put a set of barbells down here and I could stand in front of it and I could think, I want to be strong. (laughs) I'm going to be strong. I wish I was strong. Someday I might be strong. But until I get down and pick the thing up and, it's, and it hurts and start doing whatever you do with barbells, <laughs> you're not going to be strong <laughs> and it'll never happen, will it? You know, so they have the, the people who do all this exercise and things, no, ba- no pain, no gain. Well, that's true. That is true. Um, if you're going to be a distance runner, you don't start out running 10 miles. Uh, If you do, you won't do that very long. You start off running short dashes, you know, maybe 100 yards at first. And gradually you build up through pain and sweat and toil. You build up and you build up and finally you can run, you know, the super marathons, the ones that are like 50 miles and stuff like that. Comrades Marathon in South Africa, one of the longest long-distance races. And it's uphill and down and it's a tough, tough race. People die on it. Um, so the fruit of the spirit is kind of like that you know we'll never learn love, joy, peace, long suffering patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness self control, righteousness, truth we'll never have those things unless we go through the hard difficulties of life and develop those things within our hearts and in our lives three times at least 1 Thessalonians 2.12, Ephesians 4.1, Colossians 1.10. Paul writes to these different churches and he encourages them as Christians, walk in a manner worthy of God or walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Uh, Walk in a manner worthy of Christ. So we live our life in a way that brings glory and honor, praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if we have to go up to people and try to tell them that we are Christians, we have already failed, haven't we? 
They should be able to see it in our hearts and in our lives. They may not recognize it or know what it is, but they see it. When the truth is there, they know it's true. So, Peter, writing to the church, said, talking about undergoing persecution and suffering and all of these things, and he says, we do this with an eye to the Lord. When we are cursed, we bless. Uh, when we are persecuted, we do not answer back in that way. And then he said to them, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. Why should you always be ready to give the reason? Because if we are living that kind of life, people will see the difference, they will recognize it, may not understand what it is, but they will want to know, and they will come to you and ask you, what is it that's different? Why don't you respond the way everybody else does? You know, if somebody curses you and you curse them back, they're, they're happy with that. They're comfortable with that. They expect it. They look for it. But when they curse and you bless, wow, what do you do with that? Do you ever get ready for a fight and you go in and you say, you know, this and I'm, I'm ready? And they say, you know, I think you're right. I was wrong. Sorry. Wait a minute. <laughs> now what do I do? So walk in a manner worthy of God. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul commends the church at Thessalonica, and he says, You received the gospel not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God. Okay, then what happens then? Once we've heard the word of God and understood it and received it, then comes the obedience, the living out, the putting into practice of what we, we have heard. Jesus says, Isaiah talks about it, Jeremiah talks about it, uh, John talks about it, the book of Hebrews talks about it. They shall all be taught by God. Is God teaching you? Day by day? What is he teaching? It's not just information. It's not a quiz at the end of life. You don't sit down and take an exam. I am so grateful that I don't have to sit down and take an exam at the end of life. How well did you hear do there? Well, that's an F. <laughs> Wait a minute. Um, so it's not about information. It's about relationship. It's about living life on a day-by-day -day basis. So he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, And he writes to them and he says, Finally, brothers, this is a word that includes sisters as well, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. He's encouraging them to continue in the good things, the right things that they are doing. Russ Parker, our good friend, he says a lot of times even good things die for lack of affirmation. Um, you know, we need to build up constantly. This is one of the things that the body of Christ is supposed to do. We are supposed to be encouragers of each other. And um, as a role model from that, the patron saint of encouragers, if you want to look at him that way, is the man Barnabas. 
Go through, he means sons of encouragement. It was a nickname given to him. And so um, he, did, he did this in such a consistent way throughout his whole life. Um, he helped Paul get started. He helped Mark get started. Um, these guys would not have made it had not he been there to help encourage them and lift them up. And so as you go through and read about this man's life, it's an incredible study. And so they gave him the nickname. There he is, son of encouragement. When people look at you, what kind of nickname do they give you or me? Now, Africa is such a great place. And uh, when they're dealing with people like us, or people outside their culture, and they do it within as well, but also for, especially for foreigners coming in, they give us all nicknames, and they all know what they are. Now, we don't know what they are most of the time. Uh, or we may know the words, but we don't know what it, mean, what it means. <laughs> but if you get to know them, and they say, well, that's so-and-so, and they say, well, what does that mean? Then they tell you. <laughs> it's hilarious, and usually it's right on. They have that person's characteristic, the dominant thing that they see in their relationships. They peg it right on. And uh, it's pretty enlightening. And it can be very humbling as well. So, um, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Here it comes. You ready? For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your righteousness, holiness. That's the will of God for you. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Each one of you know how to control his own body, one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? In holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because God the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. So he says to us, basically in this, we are not to conduct our everyday life like people who do not know God. They should be able to look in your life and mine and say, there is a qualitative difference in this person's life. And it's not like all these people that we know do not know God. So if you're, they used to say, if you're brought on trial as a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict you? (laughs) I like Daniel in the Old Testament. These men were jealous of his power. They hated him. They were envious. Um, They were... They hated him because of his relationship with the king and because of the wisdom and graces of God in his life. Hated him, wanted him dead. And they were trying to conspire, a whole group of them, were trying to conspire to find something that they could accuse Daniel of before the Persian emperor. And so they looked in his business life. They looked in his personal life, his character. They looked in his relationships They looked and looked and looked and they could find nothing to accuse him of. That is an incredible statement. Which of our politicians can stand up to a scrutiny like that? 
Which of our pastors could stand up to a scrutiny like that? Which of us as Christians could stand up to a scrutiny like that? These people are digging in the past, in the present. They are digging to try to find something in your personal life, in your private life, in your public life, in your business life, in whatever life they can find. Your social life, they are looking and they found nothing to accuse or condemn him for. Walking in the presence of the Lord day by day. Some of you are all familiar with the writer uh, Eugene Peterson. He's written many books, but I like the title of this one. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Consistent Quality Walking with the Lord Day by Day. Um, Brother Lawrence, um, an early, early monk, wrote a little classic book called The Practice of the Presence. And he talks about living every day in the presence of the Lord. Um, the Latin phrase for that, for those who are studying Latin, is Coram Deo, in the presence of the Lord. And we should live every single day like that, walking in the presence of the Lord. Um, we should be as close to Him as we are when we come to church or when we take communion. We should be as close to Him on Monday or Friday or Saturday night as we are when we're here. Aware of His presence. Paul continues here. God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. And that's another whole thing about grieving God, isn't it? Now, this is the part I want us to really pay attention to. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. That was their province. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Again, increasing measure. And to aspire. Here's what does it mean to abide in Christ on a daily basis? What would it look like in your house and mine? This is what it looks like. We urge you to do this more and more, to, to live in love with each other, and to aspire, to aim for, to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now he's going to write later, if a person doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Because what was happening is they had people inside the church. Can you believe this? People inside the church who were working the system. That guy's got plenty. If I go and ask or stand out there and look poor, they'll help me because they have a good heart and they're generous. So... That means I can stay home and watch TV. I don't have to go out to work or play video games or whatever it is you do <laughs> when you're not working. And so he says, 
He's telling us. He's giving us a plan. Now, this is not a call to the mission field to go to some foreign country and die out there somewhere. It's not a call to go into the ministry. It's not a call to full-time Christian service, those kinds of things that we say try to set apart people because all of life is a ministry, isn't it? And all of life is a service, no matter where we are or what we're doing. And this applies to us all. The will of God, your sanctification, to love one another and to live quietly and at peace every day. To mind your own affairs, to work with your hands so that we might walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. That is our testimony. That is our testimony. It's what they see lived out on a daily basis in us. That's our testimony. So Paul writes to Galatians chapter 5 verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. And then later on in the same book, chapter 6 verse 15, Galatians, the only thing that counts is a new creation because only the new creation is faith working through love. And then James tells us the effective prayer of a righteous person has great power. You know, Jesus had made that strong statement that we read earlier. If, and it's a, it's a qualitative statement, isn't it? If you abide in me, if you live in the presence of the Lord, And if I live in you, Jesus says, then you can ask for anything and God will give it to you. We take that out of context. I can ask for anything I want. I could ask for a new car, big boat. I could ask for a new house. I could ask for a Mercedes Benz, the the, the big one. (laughs) That's not what he said, is it? If... You abide in me and I abide in you, then you can ask and God will give. Because if Christ is living within us and we are living in him, what we will be asking is in line with the will of God. And at bottom line, what that means is not my will, but yours be done. That's what it means. And when we can ask with that kind of statement... God will grant those requests. He sees things differently than we do. And his timetable is very different from ours. Jesus said that I call you friends later on in chapter 15 of John because I want you to know what I'm doing so you can participate in it and so that you'll know how to pray. Because when we know what the will of God is, we know how to pray. We can pray effectively because we are coming alongside of God and making ourselves available to Him. And then God can work in us and do some tremendous things because we're in it walking with Him. Not for selfish reasons, not to make a name or people to look at us, but it's for the glory of God. And the Lord knows those kinds of things. So He's talking about faithfulness in little things. You remember the parables. 
Uh, and there are several of them where Jesus or the, the homeowner or the landowner, whoever it is, parcels out their property um, in whatever form it comes. And he entrusts them to the servants, and they are to use, invest, develop those things, these gifts which God has given. And then at the end, there is a coming together, there is an accountability. What have you done with what God has entrusted to you in your lifetime? That's the gifts that he's given us, the abilities, because he tells us even the abilities that we have. You can say, well, I, I got this on my own. I worked hard for it. Yeah, but God gave you the ability to do those things. Created them at birth. He gifted every single person. And at the end of the day, we are going to give an account to God like the ones in the parable. And what did he say to those who had succeeded? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things, the little things. I will make you ruler of many things. Come, enter into the joy of your Lord. Which is what Jesus was saying in John 15, wasn't it? The joy of the Lord is our strength. How do you get it? By walking with Jesus. It doesn't come any other way. It's not in things. It's not in places. It's not in possessions. It's not in other people. You can only find it in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there are many things to... We could, we could continue here. But I'll give the summary... In 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. He starts out, Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy, but test everything, hold fast what is good, Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24 is the key. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it in you. That's the key. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will be productive in the kingdom of God. Because apart from Christ, what can we do? Nothing. And so he's given us the blueprint for our life. He's given us, he's told us plainly what the will of God is for us and what it looks like in everyday walk. It's up to you and I to live it. That's his will for us in our job, in our occupation, using the gifts and talents and abilities that God has entrusted to us. 
And then when we stand before the Lord, we don't have to be ashamed. As Paul says, oh, a workman who does not need to be ashamed of his or her life because it's been lived in grace and in the presence of the Lord. He will know us because he will see Christ in us. And he'll look at you and he says, oh, that one's mine. I see my son. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for who you are, for your grace, your mercy that reaches down to us. We thank you that you haven't left us in the dark or questioning or doubting or fearing, but you have spoken plainly and clearly through your word, more especially through your son and through your Holy Spirit, and that you've made plain how to live in a way that pleases you, a manner worthy of our calling. So I pray, Father, that you would bless us with that this morning as we come. Your children, your called ones, we who know you and those of us who want to know you in a deeper, closer, more personal, intimate way, draw us close, we pray, that you would work these things in us and through us for the glory of God, in whose name we pray. Amen.